This is Scott Becker with the Becker's Healthcare Podcast. Thrilled today to get to visit with Dr. Jaywan Rue. Dr. Rue is the CEO and president of the Geisinger Health System. He's had just a magnificent career and, and a brilliant leader. Dr. Rue, can you take a moment, introduce yourself, and tell us a little bit about Geisinger? Sure. Thanks so much for having me, Scott. Um, well, I'm a little bit about myself. I'm an ER physician by training. Uh, actually started my career, uh, which has had some twists and turns in the journey, but started as a corporate healthcare attorney, believe it or not, and um, found my way into policy and then government work. And then from there, really got more deeply interested in the collision or the intersection between payment and delivery of healthcare. And um, from there, landed at some administrative roles in places like Kaiser and Humana. And five years ago, I came here to Geisinger as the chief medical officer. And uh, just shy of three years ago, uh, stepped into the role here as the CEO. A little bit about Geisinger for those who may or may not know. uh, We're an integrated delivery system um, that has hospitals, physicians, uh, but also a health plan and has been doing that i.e. care delivery and the financing of care for the better part of 35 years. I believe it was 1985 when we got into the health plan business. And what that's afforded us the ability to do over the years is to innovate around care models. Uh, Having both the financing aspect and the delivery aspect has allowed us to innovate around care delivery models that move care further upstream into the home, into the communities, Um, try to prevent things before they land in places like the emergency room and the hospital. We also, a few years ago, adopted a MD-granting medical school, and so uh, are also big into research and education and the knowledge and dissemination of knowledge that's been part of our DNA over many, many decades as well, and culminating in us um, now having a medical school as, as well. So Geisinger is extremely well known for being one of the great leaders in value-based care. Talk about that. Talk a little bit about the medical school. Talk about a few points of pride in Geisinger today, Dr. Rue. Yeah, I think one of them uh, really gets back to what I hit on um, briefly there, which is the uh, ability to do, quote-unquote, value-based care, taking care of populations in a risk-based model, Obviously, the folks in our health plan, the 575,000 or so covered lives we have there, but also the 75,000 additional lives we have through our ACO with um, traditional Medicare. I think that uh, has really allowed us to invest heavily in things like the social determinants, primary care, care models that move things into the home. Um, I think that's something that has been a key part of what our focus has been and and really what we're doubling and tripling down on for this next chapter of Geisinger. Um, I think that's something I'd put right there at the top of my list, things I'm proud about. I think number two is, you know, throughout our hundred and I guess six year history now, we've always been very deeply intertwined with our communities. We're a creature of our communities. I think many of the areas that we serve Uh, are rural, uh, more sparsely populated and spread out in terms of geography, while at the same time we serve some smaller urban environments as well. So we have this nice mix, but um, uh, because of that, we end up playing a very pivotal role in the fabric of our communities, and um, it shows up every day in terms of what we do. You know, we're taking care of literally our friends, our neighbors, and our families, Um, and I think that um, really 
gives you a different lens uh, through which you view the care experience and the financing experience. I think a good illustration of this has actually happened during COVID where, you know, we have been one of these organizations that have really tried to swim upstream and, and prevent even in places that are outside the four walls of where we operate, whether it's hospitals or clinics, getting into the schools, getting into the local work environments, getting into partnering with local employers um, and also into the nursing homes and other places um, to try to prevent spread of the virus. And so I think that deep tie with the community is something else that I, I would probably underscore. And then maybe the last is, um, and I think it goes hand in hand with what I mentioned earlier, which is, I think it's allowed us to be an innovative organization where uh, we're always trying to find new and different ways to make health easier, bringing care out of these institutional environments and into the other settings where people can more readily um, improve their health and also bringing programs. And rather than building it and expecting people to come, you know, sort of the field of dreams mentality, if you will, I think we've been really focused for this next chapter in particular on building clinical programs, building capabilities, and meeting people and communities closer to where they are. So, so just magnificent, and, and it's so funny because I'm in the middle of listening to a book on audiotype around the field of dreams, and it's a fascinating story, and obviously the, the, the game last week. But talk about, you've had this really fascinating career, emergency room physician, you're a corporate trained lawyer who spent a little time at McDermott Will and Emory, one of the best in the business in the healthcare sort of legal side. Uh, and then you've been at Humana as president of integrated medical delivery. I mean, and then you came to Geisinger. When you came to Geisinger, maybe you give some advice to leaders around this. I mean, you're in the big scheme of things. I, I guess I don't know if I put an age on this, but not, not you know, relatively young. Came into Geisinger as associate or chief medical officer, excuse me. And then we're interim CEO for a couple of years. And then now a few years back, remove the interim tag. What advice do you give to leaders? When leaders take that interim tag, and people, people pretty much knew that that interim tag was coming off of you. Because you, had this, you, you have this incredible reputation as a leader in person. Um, and people sort of knew that that was going to be a temporary label of interim. How did you feel about that? What do you, what do you advise you to other people that, that are noted as interim for a period of time? Can that be tough on a leader? Any sense of that? I think a few things. Um, first of all, thank you for the kind words. I, I think I've been very lucky over the course of my career to have some folks that have given me great advice. And, um, you know, aside from being stubborn and hardheaded, like many of us are, I think uh, here and there, I've been able to follow some of that advice and it's worked out really well. And if I think about some of the key uh, nuggets of wisdom, if you will, over the years that have proven to be absolutely true, I think I'd start with, you know, following what interests you, following your passion. I think, um, you know, it's tough to make up passion um, and it's tough to um, kind of act it. You've got to really live it. You've got to love what you're doing and you have to believe in what you're doing. And I think for me, it's always been around better ways to take care of people in a value-based environment. And so um, I've tried to seek out opportunities that allowed me to play at that intersection of payment and delivery. And every step that I've taken where I've been able to do that, it's just been a, a remarkable experience. And I think that's allowed me to be super enthusiastic and, and passionate day in and day out. And I think that um, has indeed helped. I think the second thing is um, you know, being comfortable with the unknown. 
uh, is, is the way I would describe that. I think long ago, someone advised me that, you know, you got to be comfortable rolling with the punches a little bit. And as much as all of us try to chart our path and make sure that there's a, you know, A leads to B leads to C kind of linearity, um, I think it's been absolutely true, at least for me, that that's actually not how it works. I think, um, you know, it's more like a spider web that goes all over the place and you kind of, uh, you know, it's less planned and less deliberate and linear than, than we'd all like it to be, but being comfortable with that uncertainty and uh, being comfortable with some changes, I think that's really afforded me the opportunity to continue to broaden and uh, gather some skills along the way, some capabilities and uh, gather some experience that, you know, I found to be very rewarding. I mean, this, this concept of comfort with the unknown, as I, as I look at, aside from leadership, aside from business, I look at the children we have, and I think about them, and I think about one who's always so focused on knowing exactly the path, and one who I'd like to be able to more of a path seeker. And, it, and it's really interesting to hear you say you have to be comfortable with the unknown, because that's certainly a message I will share with that child today. It's okay to be comfortable without knowing exactly where your career is going for the long run, that you find your passion, you cultivate your passion, you find what interests you, and that's hard sometimes, but but it's okay to be comfortable with the unknown. I, I just absolutely love that as a as a piece of advice and, and, a, and, a, and a thought process. Um, take a second, Dr. Rowe. What, what are you seeing with COVID-19 in the country, in Pennsylvania currently? Give us a sense of what you're seeing and, and your sense of what's happening currently, if, if you can. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it dawned on me as I was saying that, that we probably have the greatest example of comfort with the unknown with this uh, whole pandemic experience. I, I just think back to the early days and even today, I think the one constant throughout the pandemic has been a lot of unknown and a lot of uncertainty. Early on, there was uncertainty around exactly understanding the virus, how it was transmitted, masks or no masks. Uh, what kind of testing? What were the criteria? Were there going to be enough reagents? What was going to be um, the, the hospital uh, settings in which the care would be optimally delivered? Uh, what medications would be effective or not? Just so much unknown. And over every couple months, it seems like there's another curveball that gets thrown. Now, of course, there's the uncertainty of, well, what will this Delta variant exactly hold in store? Um, will we see vaccination uptake increase? Um, a whole slew of things that I think is um, a good reminder that no matter how much we plan, and of course we plan uh, to account for all the different scenarios, but I do think there's a hefty dose of, of the unknown. And, and when that happens, I think it favors organizations and organizations are better equipped to respond to those situations when they have some nimbleness to them and some comfort level with uncertainty and, and being able to communicate with big teams of people uh, throughout uncertain times and, and still being able to deliver on the mission. And, and those have been the uh, elements that we've focused on here at Geisinger. Um, and I think it's, it's sort of orienting around whatever your North Star ends up being. And for us, that's been you know, the community and people's health and protecting that. Uh, as best we can. And um, I think that's been our approach and it'll continue to be our approach until hopefully we see a, you know, imminent end to this thing. 
Thank you very, very much. And what a, what a challenging time. We're starting to see hospitalizations creep back up throughout the country and infections go way back up. And let's hope that the surge moves forward quickly and so forth um, so that it doesn't end up being a horrific fall and winter, but that we get through it with at least, you know, not as bad as last year. Dr. Root, take a moment on the, the changing nature of strategy and competition in running a major health system today. How are things changing? What are you seeing? What are some of your observations? Yeah, I think one change is the emerging role of the consumer dynamic in, in healthcare. I think, um, you know, some physicians, some of my physician colleagues, sometimes they have a little bit of discomfort with the term consumer. But at the end of the day, patients are consumers and members of health plans are consumers. They have choices of where to go, how to get their care. They have choices of how to finance their care. And so they're making decisions in the same way that we all as consumers of various goods are making. And so I think there's um, a shifting uh, continued momentum in healthcare where uh, strategy is really trying to orient and should be oriented around meeting the needs of that consumer. And for us, that means making health easier, making better health easier for people, because we know that healthcare and healthcare financing is anything but simple. Uh, oftentimes it's very clunky and complicated. And the simpler we can make that, then the path of least resistance uh, leads to health versus the path of least resistance leading to sickness. And so I think strategy is really starting to orient more and more around that consumer. I think the second thing I would say about strategy that we observe is um, the ability to have uh, adaptability built into that strategy. And so you got to have the plan B's and C's of the world because much like we were talking about with uncertainty, Sometimes your plan A doesn't pan out for a variety of reasons. And, and being able to shift gears and know what, what you're going to do next, I think that's a key part of uh, being prepared. And, and talk about for a moment um, care navigation. And, and, and the reason I asked it is you talk about this consumer nature of care. And what you see often, and Geisinger is actually well-known for being about as good at this as it comes, but talk about why do so many systems still struggle so much with care navigation, with the patient getting where they have to get to, having an easy onboarding experience, trying to figure out what they need, how do they get their specialists, how do they find access? Does guys do that so much better because they're so integrated into your communities? And why is it it's still at some of the greatest academic medical centers in the country, there is still such a struggle with care navigation, getting the access you need, the right people you need when you need them, and so forth? Yeah, well, first of all, I would start by saying we still have a long way to go as well. I, I think uh, the good thing is I think we've taken some key first steps and some laid some great foundation over the years. And I think you're right. In many ways, um, maybe we do have a head start in some of these areas. But this is something that really, um, I think, pervades throughout healthcare, care uh, where things are clunky. And, and believe it or not, the, the more complex the care, the more chronic the disease, the more fragmented and complicated it becomes. Uh, it doesn't have to be that way, but I think it's, um, you know, if you rewound the tape back to healthcare 50 years ago, there were a lot of generalists and generalists were great because they could span across the continuum and help guide patients through uh, different aspects of the care journey. 
I think as healthcare has gotten more specialized, it has contributed to more fragmentation because now you may go to this specialist for this issue and that specialist for another issue. And oftentimes they may not even be on the same electronic medical record, or even if they are, maybe the communication isn't as seamless. I think for us, it starts with being on that same electronic medical record system. It, it is all about maintaining that integrated approach. And it's all about making communication easier among care teams. And so uh, we do a pretty good job of it, um, but still have better ways that we can continue to make progress. Um, but it's making it easier for, for physicians and other providers to talk with one another, encouraging that as a culture, and also, of course, communicating back to patients as well as their families and caregivers. And, and those are really the sort of the rudimentary blocking and tackling elements that we focus on. And we think that helps, especially in aging populations, those with multiple comorbidities. I think those are the places where this can become especially challenging. No, 100%. Dr. Rule, I want to thank you for joining us. You've developed just a tremendous reputation as a leader. The guys in your health system, also fantastic. Just really what you say is what people think, that it's highly tied to its communities and does this magnificent job with its communities. I want to thank you for taking the time out of your day to join us on the Factor Healthcare podcast today. Thank you very much for joining us, Dr. Rule. Thanks so much, Scott. It's been a pleasure.